Heavenly Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you'll move on this listener right now in your gentle, loving, powerful, and merciful way as they listen to this message from All Nations Church in Tallahassee. Amen. Today, it's uh, my privilege to introduce once again to you my friend, Maury Davis. Maury and I met uh, a lot of years ago. We don't know how many. It was just a lot. And have enjoyed a friendship through the years. He's a great uh, man of God, a pastor, a man of God's word. Today we have the pleasure of having his wife, Gail, with us. Maury, would you come? And Gail, would you stand and let us welcome you today? They're uh, in Jacksonville for a few weeks. And she was able to slip over here with him. And we're just delighted he's here today. Make Maury feel welcome this morning, would you please? I love your pastor and getting to come to this church early in the year was one of the great joys that I had. But one of the neatest things about this church is the surprise that you don't expect. I travel all over the world and I mean literally all over the world. And I've been in Colombia this year. I've been in Panama this year. I've got a trip to South Africa and Kenya this year later on. Travel all over the world and people give me welcome baskets, peanuts, chocolate, Cokes. But this church, I got my welcome basket and I thought I was going to share it with you today. You need to know what you do. This is a shower cap. Now I just want you to think about what would happen if I got this wet. I mean, my God, Lord have mercy, Jesus. I've been needing a shower cap. I never had a shower cap. I never used one. I think maybe when I had an infection in my foot, I put one on my foot to keep the water from getting on the stitches. But beyond that, you want a clean pastor. And so they gave you ultra fish, flushable wipes. I've never had somebody care about me that intimately. <laughs> I love this church. I love it. Sadie. Where's Sadie? She was a, a Sadie. You're just a hot mess. Antonio, God bless you. May God have grace in your marriage. I am looking forward to sharing the word of the Lord with you today. And while I'm getting ready, would you just open your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 30 and just hold that place for just a minute. I was here a few months ago and I shared about the story about going to prison and all that. And Pastor Steve asked me, he said, people ask, how did you get out? And the answer was, I escaped. And I mean, you know, no. In August, in June of 1983, the governor of the state of Texas said, I'm never signing his parole. He has to do his whole 20 years. August the 23rd, 1983, 40 years ago. They had an overcrowding problem in Texas. And they ran a computerized lottery to release the overcrowding. I was the first inmate. 60 days after I was told, you're not getting out, God opened a door and I was set free. So you may say, well, I'm in a situation that there's no hope. I got you. I understand that. I put myself there. 
I deserve far worse than I got. But you know, God's grace is giving you what you don't deserve. If I only got what I deserved, I wouldn't have the woman I married. I'm, a, I, I'm an ex-convict. She has a master's degree in piano performance from the University of Florida. When I started dating her, she was dating a mortgage banker, and I was a janitor. And if he hadn't been a weenie, I'd have never got rid of him. I mean, he was just an old sissy boy. I mean, just, he's just mama's boy. And she hates it when I say that because he listens to our sermons sometimes. <laughs> Anybody ever have a bad day? Anybody ever thought you had something, you lost it, a car, a house, a girlfriend, a boyfriend, a, uh, a, a job, uh, thought you were going to be healthy and you ended up having tonsil surgery in the middle of vacation? My wife and I have four children, triplets that are 37 years old. Is that right, babe? 36 be 37 in November, one boy and two girls, and then we have oops that came along 10 years later and uh yeah just call him oops and uh they're all married and and got kids we have eight grandchildren and one girl and seven boys and uh we are definitely a male-oriented family and uh run by women all families are run by the women trust me all families. Women tell you what to do everywhere you go. You go home, your wife tells you what to do. You go to work, the, the secretary tells you what to do. You get on an airplane, the flight attendant tells you what to do. Everywhere you go, women tell you what to do. And the sooner you get used to it and submit, the easier your life is going to be. I'm the head of the house, which means I go to work so we can have a house. <laughs> yeah, that's all that means. But years ago, I read a book called Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. And there are two kinds of people in this room, two kinds of people right now in America. You've got the positives and the negatives, the overcomers and the victims. There was two old farmers and one of them was an optimist and one was a pessimist. The optimist, optimist would look at the pessimist and one day the sun was coming down and he said, man, look at this. The crops are getting good sunshine. This is going to be incredible. The pessimist said, if we don't get rid of this sunshine and get some rain, we're going to have a drought and everything's going to die. A few days later, the beautiful rain's coming down. Not a gully washer. I mean a gentle rain, just a good rain. And he looked at the pessimist and said, well, there's your rain. It's perfect rain. Our fruits are going to be incredible. Our vegetables are going to be luscious. It's going to be incredible. He said, if it don't stop raining, we're going to get root rot and the soil's going to wash off and we're not going to have a crop. And he got so sick of it. He said, I got to fix this guy. So he went to Oral Roberts University and got Oral Roberts to loan him out his personal bird dog. And he took the bird dog back and took the pessimist hunting and ducks are laying all over the water. They've shot everything that flew. He looked at the pessimist and he said, finally, finally, this is that moment. He's going to say something positive. And he said, watch my dog. Fetch. The dog got out, walked on the water, picked up the birds, brought them back, wrapped them in newspaper, put them in the ice chest, washed his paws off, sat down and looked up at the master. And the optimist thought, this is it. This is it. He looked at the pessimist and said, what do you think about my dog? He said, can't swim, can he? I mean, you, you know, you're here today and you're going to make a decision. Are you going to get in or out? Are you going to reach into what God has? Or are you going to sit there and be cynical? 
Are you going to live in your pain? Or are you going to live in his promises? And that's a decision you make. And we teach this to our children at an early age. Don't be that person. Alexander and the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day said it this way. I went to sleep with gum in my mouth and now there's gum in my hair. When I got out of bed this morning, I tripped on my skateboard and by mistake, I dropped my sweater in the sink while the water was running. And I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Five minutes of experience, the rest of the 24 hours are messed up. After a terrible day at school, I do understand that, I hated school. A visit to the dentist, I understand that one too. Alexander makes his way to the dinner table and his troubles continue. There was lima beans for dinner, and I hate lima beans, and all God's children said amen to that one. There was kissing on TV, and I hate kissing. You'll get over that as you grow up. My bath was too hot. I got soap in my eyes. My marble went down the drain, and I had to wear my railroad train pajamas. When I went to bed, Nick took back the pillow he said I could keep, and my Mickey Mouse nightlight burned out. I bit my tongue. The cat wants to sleep with Anthony and not with me. It's been a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. You know, some days are worse than others. I was listening to y'all's story of the flats. That's why they make airplanes. You just fly out there. 6,000 miles in about three and a half hours. Yeah. You can get out and fix the flat or you can sit there and look at it and kick it and get mad about it and be upset and our vacation is ruined. We had a flat. <laughs> or you can just fix the flat and understand all God's children have flats sooner or later. Some days just don't go the way you want to. West Texas pastor was giving a testimony and he was talking about, he was sitting in his office and people kept coming in, Pastor, I'm upset. I don't like what God's doing in this church. You're holding the church back. These people over there. He said, I had about four hours of just the most negative, sourpussed, bitter people that you've ever dealt with. And I decided I couldn't take it anymore. The church was in trouble financially and everybody was upset and the board members were after me and, you know, I didn't know what to do. And I thought I'm going to go to the hospital and just pray for the sick and if, you know, do some ministry. I'm going to quit listening to the negative people. I'm going to go do something for Jesus. And he said, I went down to the local hospital and just went in the first room. The person was sitting there with little tears in their eyes. I looked at the person in bed and said, do you mind if I pray? And the lady that was crying said, I don't care. And she said, I laid hands on that person. Person, I said, in the name of Jesus, by the blood and the stripes that Jesus bore, rise up and be healed. He said, thank you very much. Walked down. He said, I thought I didn't even ask the lady what the problem was. He said, I went back in the room and said, ma'am, I forgot to ask you, what's the problem with the person in the bed? She said, they died about 30 minutes before you came in. He said, I just went home and got in bed and pulled the cover over my head. I mean, have you ever had one of those days that it just doesn't go right? Well, there's a way out of that. There's a way out of every crisis. We serve a way maker. So I want you to open your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse number 1. It's a great story in your Bible. David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided Negev and Ziklag, and they had attacked Ziklag and burned it, and had taken captive the women and everyone else in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. 
When David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. And David's two wives had been captured, Ahinon of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was greatly stressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Then David said to Abiathar, the priest, the son of Himelech, bring me the ephod. Abiathar brought it to him, and David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, he answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. Bad day. It's a textbook passage on how to move from catastrophe to victory. From loss to gain. From unexpected to prophetic word. How do I move from that moment that it's over to that moment that it's all back? Many of you in this room are in this place right now. But those of you who say, well, I'm not, I haven't lost anything, listen to me. There is a thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. These are principles you need to internalize in your spiritual life because the battle comes unexpectedly. What do you do when you've lost everything? What did they do? Number one, they wept until they could weep no more. Being in denial, being stoic is not a manifestation of spiritual development. Denying your emotions is not what God calls you to do. Stoicism is not faith. Denial is not faith. Homes and families and possession are all gone. The loss is real. Emotionally, physically, financially, relationally, it's real. You say, well, I'm a man of faith. Well, Abraham wept over Sarah. And Jacob wept over Rachel. And Joseph wept at the reunion of his brothers. And Hezekiah wept over a bad report. And Jeremiah wept over the sins of Israel. And Peter wept over his failure. And Jesus wept. The Bible says there is a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. There is a time to weep. You need to understand that you've got to get the weeping out. You've got to get it out. When David was traveling with his army, and I think it's first, uh, Second Samuel chapter 5, he found himself under the, the trees, the baca trees, the mulberry trees. And that literally means a place of weeping. The whole army is in a place of weeping. But it's there that God said, even though you're in a place of weeping, there will come a sound in the top of the trees. And when you hear the sound in the top of the trees, the marching in the top of the trees, rise up and go attack your enemies. You got to learn to weep. Some of you say, well, I just, I'm, I internalize everything. Well, that's not helpful. That's like taking things in that are going to make you sick. Unprocessed emotions are not healthy. Internalizing everything is not healthy. Now, being a part of this overly emotional generation is not healthy because there's a time to weep and a time to laugh. Weeping until you can weep no more. Get it out and get it over with. What God say to the prophet, how long will you mourn? Well, you know, my mother died 10 years ago. I'm sure that there's still some emotion there. But the fact that you can't get out of bed and go to work, that's much foolishness. Everybody's mother's going to die. 
Everybody's daddy's going to die. Everybody you know is going to die. Just so you know, you're going to die. Brother Davis, I just want to go to heaven. You got to get in the box. But I want people to miss me when we're gone. We're going to cry. We're going to miss you. And then we're going to go medicate our miss with some chicken. What are you going to do when I die? I'm going to go eat with all my friends and family. Brother Davis, what are we going to do when you're dead? You're going to go eat. That's what we do. I pastored for a number of years, and so I was in and out of the funeral homes pretty often. And sometimes when I didn't have a lunch appointment, I'd just go down to the funeral home. And do you know in that back room of the funeral home, there's food everywhere. And I'd go down there and eat those little sandwiches and some chicken strips and get some banana pudding and go back to work. My wife would say, you got to stop doing that. People in this town know you can't just go in the funeral home and eat. And the answer is why? The family's all out there in the service crying about the dead person that don't care that I'm eating the food. Some of you older people say, I just want to go to here. I want to hear a hymn. Go to a funeral. They sing hymns in all the funerals. Funeral homes are incredible places to find food and spiritual refreshing. You say, that's not right. Didn't say I was right. Just said what I did. I've never claimed to be right. I am the righteousness of God in Christ because he's right. I, I'm a horrible person in so many ways. If, I'm dry, if I get up early and she's not with me, you know, the conscience, and I get hungry and it's 6.37 in the morning, I just whoop in a Marriott. They got a free breakfast in there. <laughs> Holiday Inn's got incredible biscuits and gravy. You say, you shouldn't do that. Do you know how many hotels I stay in that I don't eat their breakfast? They owe me. That's the rules. You know, I was just talking to you about your mother dying and you're laughing already. Weeping lasts for a night, but joy comes in the morning. There is going to be a resurrection. God wants to bring joy into your life. You remember when the apostle Peter denied Jesus at the crucifixion? And Jesus turned after the cock crowed three times and looked at him. We think of that as Jesus said, I told you. Eyeball to eyeball, you denied me. At my greatest need, you failed me. But that's not what happened. A rooster crows when the sun comes up. It was Jesus' way of saying you messed up, but God is saying joy comes in the morning. Your morning is coming to you quicker than you think it is. Got to learn to weep. Number two, you don't get bitter. Don't get bitter. David was greatly distressed in verse 6, for the people spoke of stoning him because of all of the souls of the people were grieved, every man for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. As the tears dried up, the talking started. The talking. If we weren't with David fighting that other battle, we wouldn't have lost our wife and kids. Hey, hey, hey. Weren't you the men that David met in the wilderness that were rejected by society? You were distressed and and in debt. You, you didn't have a wife. You didn't have kids. You didn't have a life. You were homeless people until you met David. Everything you have is because of your connection to the man of God. 
The enemy came to steal. The man of God gave you what was stolen. Don't turn on God's answer. Why did this happen? You don't know. I don't know. And you ain't never going to know. It happened so God could have a chapter in the Bible. And your life just needed to be part of the pain. God's writing a book. And he needs some wins and some losses. He can't have victories without some battles. You're going to get bitter. It won't work. Bitterness won't help you. And it'll mess up other people. And that's what the talking does. Well, you know, if David had really heard from God, we wouldn't be. These people were in distress. They were in debt. They were discontented. And David raised them up. But you know what? We discover the flesh is strong. I know better in my spirit man, but my carnal man needs somebody to blame. My carnal man needs somebody to give me a pound of flesh. My carnal man needs some justice. And I'm not talking about American justice. You know what I'm talking about. I'm not getting in that political fight. Hebrews 12:15 says, look carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Boy, now I know there are people, you just can't, you can't mess the grace of God up. That's not what that just said. You can have grace and bitterness will rob you of the blessing. Lest any root of bitterness spring up causing trouble. Bitterness is the seed root of a dangerous spirit. Jesus said in Luke chapter 17, it is impossible that no offense should come. You say, I don't want to be offended. Sorry about that. You're going to get offended. I get offended when people drive slow in the fast lane. I wished I could legally put a good bumper on my car and put them in the wall. Just like NASCAR, you're slow, putting you out of the track, get out of the track. I get offended when I honk at people and they wave with not all their fingers. I was at a carousel in Chennai, India, waiting on my luggage to come off. And when you live in a nation with a billion people, there is no space. There's no bubble. I'm the first one there. I'm standing there. And I don't know how they did it. Those people are masters at getting between you and where you are. I realize I'm four people back. And I thought, hey, I was here first. There's a billion of you. I'll never get my luggage. I get offended when I go into McDonald's and they look at me and don't say, just a minute. They treat you as if they don't care you're there. It's easy to get offended. But all you do is make yourself sick. How you process the pain is going to determine whether you end up in the promise or in the pit. You can't get bitter. You've got to be like the woman that Jesus met at the well. Married five times and the man she's living with, not her husband. We'd mark her. That woman. Jesus said, give me that one. She don't get bitter. She didn't say, I tell you what, that man did this to me and I'm not ever getting married again. She had the spirit Jesus can use. 
I'm just going to keep doing it till I get it right. Maybe 10, maybe 12, but I'm going to just keep getting married till I find the right one. I think that was Jesus' favorite person in the Bible, a person that would not get bitter and would not quit. Some of you got mad. Well, I got fired. I'm not going to work anymore. Stop it. Well, that teacher was rude to me. Then, okay, so what? Get another teacher. I was talking, I was in a traffic court one time and the judge said, you're the pastor of that church, aren't you? I thought, here we go. Here we go. Judge Solomon. And she said, I was in your church and you told a story about a grasshopper on your hood. If you'll tell that story to this whole courtroom, I'll let you go. I thought I got to tell a humiliating story to the whole courtroom to clear my ticket. So I did. I told Judge Solomon I got another ticket and I had to go back to her court. That happened three or four times because the speed limit's way too low. <laughs> she said, you know, you, you, you got another ticket, Brother Davis. I said, you want to hear that grasshopper story again? <laughs> she said, no, I'm going to send you to traffic school. I said, how long does that take? She said, three hours. I said, what's the fine? She told me. I said, I'll just write you a check. I ended up going three hours to traffic school. It's not going to change the way I drive. I drive as the spirit leads me. <laughs> How you process pain will determine where you end up in the process, promises. And life is hurtful. Life is painful. Life's not easy. This world has got a God of this world. It ain't the God of heaven. How about number three, learn to encourage yourself in the Lord. I just need somebody to encourage me. You know, thank God that most of the time there is somebody there to encourage you. But you know, I'm going to promise you at some point, it's just going to be you and God. And if you don't know how to get a hold of God, you're going to be in a world of hurt. You got to learn to encourage yourself in the Lord. You got to do what David said in Psalm 42, where he speaks to himself and says, why are you in despair O my soul? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. In other words, ain't nobody there but me. I got to talk to me and say this is not acceptable I'm crying I'm in despair I'm despondent I'm depressed I'm discouraged and that is not where God wants me to be and if that is not where God wants me to be I refuse to stay out of the will of God because my emotions and my flesh and my circumstances have messed me up he said I'm gonna bless the Lord at all times and his praise shall continually be in my mouth Paul would have been a horrible apostle to do ministry with. Can you imagine you're Silas? You're assigned to go with Paul. And you take that trip to Macedonia. You're going into Macedonia looking for the man from Macedonia. And Paul sees this little girl's got some demons in her and men are misusing those gifts and that stuff. And he looks at her and said, in the name of Jesus, come out. And that girl hits the ground, demons come out, and all these guys that was making money with this little girl, they get mad at Paul and they stone them until they are unconscious. They wake up in the sewer area, the dungeon, which is under the street over the sewer of the city, and they're hanging on the wall. Paul comes to himself finally. Got busted head, looked like pastor with road rash. I mean, he, you know, 
Yeah. <laughs> some people left their heart in San Francisco. You left some of you out there on the highway there, brother. <laughs> What's that spot on the road, Pastor Dow? And <laughs> got to go out there and just ride holy on it and don't run over it. He comes to himself and he looks over and he can kind of see the silhouette of Silas there and Hey, Si. Si, you okay? Hey, Silas, talk to me. Man, they must have killed him this time. He's just hanging over there dead. Come on, Silas. Paul, I'm not talking to you. Why aren't you talking to me? You're a horrible apostle. Everywhere we go, it's horrible. We get stoned, we get beaten, we get shipwrecked. Answer me one thing. Why could you just not leave the little demon-possessed girl alone? He said, so I answered him. Man's got to do what a man's got to do. He said, hey, Simon, I'm going to write a book to the Philippians. I'm going to put a scripture in there and everything give thanks. For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. So what I want us to do is we're going to practice giving thanks in spite of anything going on. I want you to sing with me, Si. He said, Paul, how bad do they hit you in the head? We are bleeding. We have broken bones. We're hanging in a dungeon. The sewer's running under our feet, and they're probably going to kill us. He said, I thought, you know, he's just not very spiritual. So I just began to sing by myself, and I guess God didn't like the way I sang. He hit that big bass drum in heaven, shook us loose. I landed on my feet and thought, my God is an awesome God. Silas fell in the sewer, and he was still complaining. Praise God. Anyhow. He didn't say this is wrong. I was serving God. I was doing the will of God. And this is not fair. And, you know, John does have to go through all this. It, his biggest problem is he's going to be put on the island of Patmos and get to see the revelation. And here I am hanging in a sewer and la da 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 No, he said, no, no, no. I'm not going to live like that. I'm not going to be the person that is always the drag, the person that is always inviting people to come to my pity party. I'm not going to be that person. I'm going to learn to encourage myself in the Lord. I'm going to make the Lord's name great. I'm going to enlarge his presence. If you read the book of Habakkuk and you start in Habakkuk chapter one, the prophet of God is saying, why do the wicked prosper? And God, why don't you do anything? And you get to the third chapter of Habakkuk and he finishes it with this. Though the fig tree may not blossom nor fruit in the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will join the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet and he will make me walk on the high hills he's just shouting you say what happened between the first chapter and the third chapter listen to me nothing God didn't do anything but he got a hold of himself from God why do the wicked prosper and why is all this happening to me do you know what it doesn't matter what's going on I know the king of kings and the lord of lords I know the creator of the heavens and the earth the alpha the omega the beginning and the end I know the one that was and is and is to come so whatever's going on I'm going to keep myself right I'm going to encourage myself in the Lord and though there not be anything in the stalls though there not be any food in the field though there not be any fruit on the vine I will rejoice in the God of my salvation because he picks me me up my circumstances do not control my spirit man my praise does you got to weep until you can weep no more you got to make sure no bitterness comes in you got to learn to encourage yourself on the Lord number four you got to learn to get a word from God 
You got to learn to get a word from God. And you can't do that if you're bitter. You can't do that in your weeping. You can't do that. You got to get yourself in position to hear the Lord. Do you realize that everybody in Tallahassee could hear this message today? But they're not where they need to be to hear the word. You and I are believers. How often are we not where we need to be to hear the word? 1 Samuel 30 verse 8. So David inquired of the Lord saying, shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered, pursue them for you shall surely overtake them and will recover all. What David has done, he's gone through the process from grief stricken to avoiding bitterness to rejoicing to receiving. The only priest that escaped the massacre was Abiathar. And David went to the man of God and said, pray with me. He put on the garments of the priest. He got himself right. I want you to think about that. Ten words in five seconds. Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them and shall recover all. The King James Version said, and without fail, recover all. Destinies in view. I've got a word from God. When I got saved in 1975, there were two or three verses that became my core verses. One is Galatians 5.1. It was for freedom that Christ set me free. Therefore, I keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. That didn't just mean going back to the drugs and all the other stuff that I had going on in my life. That meant I'm not going back into the thought processes that put me there. I'm going to stand firm because God is going to open that door. I don't know when. I don't know how. But I'm going to stand firm. It took eight and a half years. The second one was Galatians 1 verse 24, the last verse of Galatians 1 where Paul said, and they were glorifying God because of me, and I wrote myself a note in the Bible, what about you? At the end of this journey, 40, 50 years later now, is anybody going to say, I know Jesus because of what God did in Mari Davis's life. I'm closer to God because of Mari Davis's life. I'm closer to Jesus. I'm a better person in the kingdom of God. I've won people to Jesus. People have been brought to Christ. Families have been saved. Is anybody going to say, I glorify God because because I met that man. Those were goals in my life to see happen. I had a word from God that gave me a purpose for living and a plan to have faith for my freedom. Some of you don't have a word. You don't have a life word that gives you passion. So what drives you? I was forgiven much. I got to get up every day and go to work. People say, you work all the time. Work is a gift from God. I don't go to work so I can take a day off. I take a day off so I'm ready to go to work. You say, well, you traveled 3,000 miles last month. That, just, that was in the car. Don't count the plane rides. But churches are growing. Pastors are being helped that are going through difficult times. This is what I do. When I help a young guy not quit, the kingdom wins. When I help a church that's stuck figure out how to grow by 30% next year, the kingdom wins. The city wins. God is glorified. Why do you do that? I was forgiven much. 
People say, you don't owe God anything. I owe God everything. That's a crazy statement. I don't owe God anything. Salvation is free. That's another crazy statement. Salvation ain't free. You can't pay for it, but if you don't give God your heart, you don't get it. Everything in the kingdom of God is based on sowing and reaping. You sow an empty heart. You receive a heart transplant. I love the brother. He was talking about, talking about money a little bit ago. Did you know Jesus talked more about money than he did faith, hope, and love? All our church does is talk about money. Okay. It's pretty scriptural. Stay there. Did you know Jesus talked more about hell than he did heaven? More people are going there. You need to understand what's fixing to happen. He didn't do it to be morose or, or, or cold. He did it out of a passion. You don't want to go. And I'm going to make a way for you to not go. In my name, you don't have to go. Got to get a word from God. How about this one? Number five, get mad at the devil. <laughs> I don't go to church. Why? Well, that pastor made me mad. So you're going to, you, there's another church down there. When you don't go to church, you're not mad at the pastor. You're mad at the God of the pastor. Well, I got church hurt. <laughs> well, why don't we all just, everybody hadn't been church hurt, stand up. Everybody gets church hurt. You got mama hurt. You got daddy hurt. You got brother hurt, sister hurt. I've never been wife hurt, but I'm sure my wife's been husband hurt. She did hit me one time with her fist. Right after we got married, she started an abusive relationship. And I looked at her like, don't do that anymore. <laughs> yeah. You get kid hurt. You got school hurt. You got work hurt. Can I tell you, anywhere there's people, there's pain. And people don't normally intentionally hurt you. How many times has somebody come to you and said, I've just had a problem with you and I want to ask you to forgive me? You didn't have any idea what they're upset about. I, I can't tell you how many times in an altar people would come up to me and say, Brother Davis, I've just been offended for the last couple of years. Now, I didn't say this, but I thought, that's really a stupid confession. If I hurt your feeling two years ago, you ought to come talk to me two years ago. I didn't know it. The only person sick over this is you. You're hurting yourself. Which goes to your IQ. I said, and I, was, I didn't even ask him what it was. I said, I, let me apologize. Well, you don't know what you did. And I'm thinking, I probably don't even care. I probably don't even remember it. You know, we were in the hospital and you came once and then you sent the other pastors. There's 4,000 of you. I can only visit so many hospitals a day. You weren't dying. If I stay, if I come more than once, you're on the way out. I walked in the hospital of a long-term church member last week that my son asked me to visit. And I walked in and she said, am I dying? I said, no, this is the first visit. <laughs> get mad at the devil. Don't get mad at the church. 
The church is made up of people that are doing their best to walk in love, that their best is not perfect. Don't get mad at the preacher. Well, he, he didn't feel me. Okay. Maybe you shouldn't feel you so much. If you took up your cross today and died today, you ain't got no feelings. But I wanted you to deal with patriotism or America's warts or flaws or whatever you said earlier. There are no perfect nations. None. But I can tell you, I'm from Texas. And I've stood at the border. Ain't nobody swimming south to get out of this nation. <laughs> I mean, they're all swimming north. I was just down there a month ago, and I said, man, there's a lot of people swimming north. No wonder people are drowning. They're running over each other. America was intended to be a Christian nation. If you study the history of this nation... It's amazing. It was intended to be built on Christian principles. The first 13 colonies, you couldn't be a politician if you didn't go to church and confess Jesus. You could not serve in, in political things. I mean, however, those very same people that said you have to be a Christian also practiced slavery. I know there's nothing in your life that's hypocritical. See, culture back then, when I'm in Kenya, the tribes are still enslaving each other. It's still going on. We don't talk about history the way we should. Slavery was evil, but the largest holder of slaves in America was a black man. When the Cherokee Indians were on the Trail of Kears, they took 3,000 slaves with them. The native Indians, being imprisoned by the colonialists, took African slaves with them. It is, uh, we condemn it. We judge it as evil. But does that make everybody in America a racist? Does that make everybody that ever try to do good, all bad. See, we're not either all good or all bad. We're just imperfected. And we need to be able to talk and fix the problems without hate, without judgment. Somebody told me that you're an old white guy. I said, yeah. The only way to not be that is to die as a young white guy. <laughs> I'm not leaving just because you don't like it. You get mad at your spouse. I'm not talking to you. That works. You get mad at your kids. I'm going to beat you. That works. You get mad at the opposing political party. They, they, they can't talk to each other anymore and say, let's, let's, we, we need to sit down and have a rational talk. I've got to destroy you and you've got to destroy me. And most of us out here are thinking, what's the truth? We just want to know the truth. You get mad at your boss. But the, the, the spiritual book in the Bible in the New Testament for battle is Ephesians. And it says we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. But against the powers and principalities and rulers of the darkness 
of this present age against the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. We, we, our battle is deeper than human. Where is your spiritual Popeye? Remember that cartoon back when you could watch cartoons before they were perversions? I've had all I can stand. I can't stand no more. That's it. I'm getting my spinach. When are you going to step into that phone booth and put your Superman suit on? When are you going to go into the cave and get the Batmobile? I mean, at what point are you going to say enough's enough? That is all that you're doing. I'm not going anymore. You're not taking anymore. You're not pushing anymore. You're not making me feel diminished anymore. You're not taking my blessings anymore. You're not touching my health anymore. I'm going to draw a line in the sand and you, you do in your best interest, devil, you do better to back up than cross that line because what you're fixing to mean for evil, God's fixing to turn for good. God has a plan with my life his hand is on my life and so whatever you're doing is not going to work for your benefit how about lastly how about let's recover all we serve a God that said hey the problem's not the problem the problem is not the problem your obedience and trust in me is the issue I've told you you're going to recover all. Now go get them. But you've got to go overtake them. You say, well, I just want God to give it to me. That's not how it works. When the walls of Jericho fell down, they didn't just go in and take everybody's stuff. Those people were still in there, and they had swords and spears and shields, and they were ready. You, you, the wall may come down, but you've got to fight the fight to get the blessing. I don't know about you. Can you imagine David's leading all these guys and they're going out and they finally see the enemy and the battle is on and they have fought and fought and fought and fought and fought. Blood is on their hands. They can't hardly hold their swords anymore. Their arms are weary. Their backs are weary. Sweat's running down their brow. They're gasping for breath and they finally kill the last enemy and they're sitting there as men that have been in a battle that are wore out. They're physically and emotionally drained. There's nothing left and all of a sudden you hear that little voice daddy and something happens inside of you as those children come out of captivity and your wife comes back and your children come back and you recover all if you don't have that picture in your mind you won't fight that fight if you don't have that picture in your mind you won't fight the fight that needs to be fought. Why do we do what we do? Because God has given us a picture of what could be. Two thousand thirteen, I went to my cholesterol doctor. He gives me these cholesterol pills. He takes my blood and makes sure it's not affecting my liver or kidneys, whatever checking for. And he says, you know, I have to check it. And he said, you know, if you change your diet. I said, I'm not going to change my diet. I've never met an enchilada I didn't like. I like queso. I like enchiladas. I stopped at Denny's the other night and had the, you know, the lumberjack, which is three eggs, hash browns, ham, bacon, and sausage with two pancakes and I did eat seven grain toast as a health benefit. 
<laughs> with butter and jelly. And uh, I'm, I'm not going to do that. So just give me the medicine. You know, just fight that. Well, you know, if you don't stop doing this, you're going to have a heart attack and die. You know, I, I'm going to die whether I have a heart attack or a stroke or wreck my car because I'm texting while I'm driving or reading text or what, reading Fox News or something on my phone or answering emails or uh, you're going to die. Car wreck's not a bad way to go as long as you go through the window and don't do what he did. <laughs> the road rash, that's a bad way. <laughs> He's like, Lord, you almost got me. Could you not have finished this? I mean, he calls me and said, Mario, you've got some markers in your blood for leukemia. This is what it is. I want you to call this doctor, an oncologist. We were in the middle of a building program. And I knew that if I got diagnosed with cancer formally, the bank would shut that down. We were in a $17 million project. And I thought, if I save my life, I'll lose it. But if I'll give my life, I'll find it. Do I really believe in my heart? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And all these other things are added. My son, my youngest son, was graduating from high school, and we were going to do the motorcycle ride around America, all the borders of America, 30 days, 472 miles a day. I thought, man, so I wrote him the 30-day devotional that so many of you got the last ride last time I was here. Came back in August and had to go do my cholesterol again. It was probably worse after that ride because when you do a motorcycle ride, it really does get to chicken fried steaks and... Chicken fried steaks, and <laughs> chicken fried steaks, then the enchiladas, I mean, all that stuff. The doctor said, what did Dr. Shipley say? And I said, I didn't go. He goes, oh my goodness. So they run all kinds of tests in my little main doctor's office. He comes to my church office three days later and said, this is in your blood. It's in your urine. Mari, this is an aggressive cancer. I need you to go. I made you an appointment in two weeks. We still didn't have the financing done. The bank was giving it out, but they didn't have the signs where they couldn't back out. So I called. My legal name is Donald Maurice Davis. My dad got called Don. That's why I got Maury. And, and I said, hey, this is Donald Davis. I need to cancel that appointment. Let me reschedule. I've got to check my calendar. We get all the way to November. All the way to November. And in November, I go to Dallas and I get my pastor. Remember, David went and got his priest. I went and got my pastor and I told him this story. He said, you've had cancer all year long? I said, I haven't used that word. It's the first time I've mentioned that word to you. I didn't tell her. I didn't tell anybody. This is my fight. I don't need anybody else worrying about me. My life is about other people. My whole family told me after I told them I was healed, they said, you need to tell us next time. We'd be praying for you. I said, you ought to be praying for me anyway. Do your job. Do your job. This is y'all's job to be praying for me. God knows I need it. He laid his hands on me. And long story short, God healed me. And what the devil meant for evil became a testimony to the power of the blood. That, that spirit was planted in me by another Christian. His name is Tommy Thompson. And I'm going to tell you one final story and the piano player can come back where his muscle's at. Come on up here. 
I used to look like that. Then I made money and I didn't have to. That was carnal, wasn't it? I'm in prison. I've been saved about two or three years. And my Sunday school teacher was a gentleman by the name of Tommy Thompson. And Tommy was a faith preacher during the charismatic movement. The rhema faith word of God is coming out. And he's just, God can do anything. 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 And we're sitting in our day room one day and he got a call. He had been given a parole. He had his papers. He was being released in two weeks after spending about eight years in prison. And he was talking about it and they called him down and he came back. And he just looked beat. I said, what happened? In all of my years of prison, he's the only person I ever saw get his release papers. And they said, we've changed our mind. And took it away. That's cruel. And he said, you know, Maury, I don't understand this, but I've trusted my life to God. God's plan for my life is going to work. He's positive confession. I'm thinking I'd be mad. I'd be getting an attorney. But Tommy is showing me how to do it. He got called to the chaplain's office about four hours later, and the chaplain delivered him a letter from his fiance that had been waiting on him for eight years. And she said, I can't wait on you anymore. I don't know how long you'll be in prison. I love you, but I have to go on my life. And he came back with tears in his eyes after getting that letter and told me what happened. And I said, Tommy, I'm so sorry. And he said, I love her. My heart's breaking, but I understand. I, I understand she can't wait anymore. Our lives are going on. I could be in here for another 10 years. That night, he came back after being called back to the chaplain's office, and he started sobbing, sobbing, sobbing. And I said, Tommy, what happened? He said, my 21-year-old son was found dead in his apartment. He choked on a chicken bone. And he just crumbled, and he was just sobbing. And I thought as a young baby Christian, if God can do, if the devil can do that to him, what's he going to do to me? That guy has more faith than I do. That guy knows more about the Bible than I think I might ever know. That guy is my hero. That guy is my spiritual covering. That guy is my teacher, my pastor, my inmate pastor. That guy and the devil took him down. He took away his freedom. He took away his love and he took away his children. If the devil can do that, what's going to happen? And I watched him as he just curled up there in the corner on his chair and he was just sobbing and all of a sudden I saw something happen that I've never forgotten. I saw him take his fist and he just began to clench his fist and he just began to kind of beat on his leg. I will not quit. I said, what did he say? I will not quit. What did he say? I will not. And I watched him as he began to beat his leg harder and harder and say it over and over, talking to himself. I will not quit. And all of a sudden, about 10 minutes later, I watched him rise up out of that chair and he looked at me and he said, what the devil is meant for evil, God is going to turn for good. We're going to build a greater church in this prison. And when I get out of this prison, I'm going to work with teenagers in Teen Challenge so other people don't come here. God has his plan on my life. He has his hand on my life and my dream is not going to die because today has been a bad day I will not quit I walked in a teen challenge in Dallas Texas seven years later and Tommy Thompson was working with kids teenagers with drug problems 
married, in love, fulfilling the will of God. But it was that day when he lost it all that he rose up in his spirit and said, I'm going to recover all. I want to pray with you today. You may be in that moment that you've lost it. You may be in that moment of emptiness in your soul. You may be in that moment that you say, I know God is for me, but I can't see the way forward. And you need to touch a God on your life. Anybody here that you? Raise your hands up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Would those of you your hands up, would you come up here? Would you just get up and come on up here? Come on up here. Just make a single file line up here. I'm going to pray for you. Just make a line. I don't want you to sing this, just so you know. It used to be a song, I know the Lord will make a way for me. It was the first song that I ever learned in the Dallas County Jail. And it has some theology in it that some people are challenged by. I know the Lord will make a way for me if I shun the wrong and do the right. In other words, if I give my life to Jesus, I know the Lord will make a way for me. So is it okay if I pray for him, Pastor? So I'm going to come pray for you. I'm going to ask that you lead the church in some worship, if you would. And let me talk to you. You're sitting out there saying, what's God going to do for them? Quit thinking that. This is not a spectator sport. The atmosphere needs to be controlled by God's presence. And God's presence is controlled by our presence in this building and our praise in our mouth. The Spirit of God travels on sound. Where there is total silence, the Spirit of God hovers. Where there's a speaking, the Spirit of God moves. So I'm going to ask that you help me with this altar call by opening your mouth, raising your hands, and worshiping God with all of your heart. The atmosphere shift allows faith to work. It's like the grease that allows faith to work without friction. Can we do that? Come on, church. Thank you. You made it to the end of the message, and now what? Is God leading you to make a change? Are you needing a good church home where you can grow and help others grow as you fulfill your part in the body of Christ? Then we invite you to join us at All Nations Church on Sharer Road in Tallahassee, a multicultural church founded on the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. Our Sunday morning service is at 10.30 and Wednesday night service at 7, plus youth group and kid power and small groups and more. For more information, visit our website, allnationstallahassee.com.